Greetings and welcome to my podcast, where you get to meet and learn from inspiring people with terrific lessons for leadership and life. Today we're joined by John Izzo, author, leadership guru, and president of Izzo Associates, to share lessons from his newest book, The Purpose Revolution. John has spoken to over a million people and advised over 500 companies, including IBM, Qantas, the Mayo Clinic, Verizon, RBC, TELUS, Walmart, DuPont, Humana, Microsoft, and IBM. He's the author or co-author of six other books, including Awakening Corporate Soul. I first met John when I interviewed him about his previous book, The Five Thieves of Happiness. What a great conversation. I can tell you I still remember specific things from that book and probably have quoted John more times than he cares to know in the last year. (laughs) I hope, and I'm positive today's conversation will be no different. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nate. Always great to be with you. You're such a a positive uh, influence and uh, happy to be having this conversation with you. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you know, I don't think I've ever asked anybody this, but I care about the people to whom a book is dedicated. And I'd like to start today by asking uh, asking you to share a little bit about the people to whom you dedicated this book. Tell us a little bit about their inspiration and impact on your life. Yeah, well, there's two people I dedicated this book to. Uh, the first uh, was uh, my mother, who died this past year, and and uh, you know my mother was an amazing woman. Uh, worked all of her life uh, in New York City. Was a single mom. Uh, raising an only child in a time when that was uh, not very common, uh, hardworking, good and decent human being uh, who was a respecter of all persons. But I dedicated the book to her in large part because uh, from the very beginning of, of my life, I think she made it uh, clear that the most important thing in your work was to have a sense of purpose, that money and status uh, were nice. But at the end of the day, uh, you better have meaning in what you're doing and you better make a difference. And so uh, I, I really credit her with my kind of, you know, a lifelong desire to do that. And the second was to uh, a Presbyterian minister who had a big ab- impact on me as a teenager and a university student uh, named Robert Kelly. And Bob Kelly is a fascinating guy. He had been the first white minister of an all-black church in Harlem in the 1960s. Uh, This is before I met him, and that tells you something, right? Uh, uh, He was a guy who was involved in the civil rights movement, in really the fight for equality, uh, and, uh, and, and really taught me, was my first role model around being a servant leader. You know, and here was a person who really dedicated himself to serving others as a leader. So I really couldn't think of two better people to dedicate a book about purpose and about a revolution of the opportunity for businesses to make a difference and do good. So those are the two people I dedicated the book to and probably the two people who had the biggest influence maybe uh, on my young adult life. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I am sure your mom would have been proud. Wow. Wonderful. So tell us, what is the Purpose Revolution and why is this so important for business leaders today? 
Well, you know, there's when I think the first question is what is purpose, right? So the purpose, then the revolution. So purpose is really that part of um, for an employee. Purpose is that part of our work that is not about money or about status or learning or growth uh, or looking good or where it's going to take me in my career. It's that part of work that is about having a a sense of meaning and significance, really feeling like your work is making a difference and gives meaning to your life while you're serving others. Uh, And for customers or investors, it's the desire to have all the things that we've always wanted. You know, we want a good price and we want a product, a service that excites us. Uh, We want to make money with our investments, but we also want something else, uh, which is we want to feel like our buying and investing are leveraging good or at least not doing bad in the world. I call it, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, consumption without guilt. Or the flip side of that is the desire for our consumption to actually leverage good. So what is purpose? That's what purpose is. It's this kind of third factor that people are considering when they make decisions about who they work for, who they buy from, or how they invest. And one point I make in the book, Nate, is that purpose-focused employees and purpose-driven companies have always been more successful uh, than those who are uh, focused merely on profits or merely on product or merely on money and status. And again, in the book, we share a lot of that research. So that's purpose. But then the question is, what's the revolution? Because in fact, if purpose-focused employees have always been happier and more successful and purpose-driven businesses always more sustainably successful, why is there in fact a revolution happening? And here's what the revolution is about. Uh, The revolution is about an exponential growth in the expectation of all three of these groups, employees, customers, and investors, from where purpose and social good have moved from being a nice to have to increasingly a demand and a lever of, of choice of how those three groups are making decisions about who they work for, buy from, and invest in. And what we argue in the book, and I think make a very compelling case, is that this revolution of expectations is global, it's growing, it cuts across generation, and it's about to hit business like a tsunami, both as an opportunity and as a threat. So get ready for it. So that's it. Purpose oh, wow. always been the revolution is an exponential growth in the expectation. We can talk about the numbers yeah. that are behind that. Well, let's do. It sounds like you're, you're alluding to the fact that this this is not just a good thing to do, but this is necessary for business. So what is the business case? Yeah, well, the, the business case is, is very simple. First of all, let's talk about the expectation. About 80% of consumers globally say it matters to them a good deal to buy from companies that are doing good and they believe in. And about one-third of uh, uh, in, uh, it, Customers globally are already regularly punishing companies they feel are doing bad and rewarding companies that are doing good. And if you look at um, 
Uh, take Unilever as an example. You know, Unilever owns many different brands. Among those brands are two that everyone listening will have heard of, Dove and Ben and Jerry's. Two very purpose-focused brands that have made an incredible connection of purpose, not just about the product or the price with their customers. And the Unilever brands that have made this purpose connection with their customers are growing on average 35% faster than the rest of their brands. And this is mirrored not just at Unilever, but across the spectrum. So first on the customer side, 80% want to buy from good companies. A third are regularly acting on that. And uh, and uh, significantly more growth and loyalty among those companies who make the, make the purpose connection. And one more exclamation point, a big study uh, sponsored by Unilever, uh, but not done by them, showed there's about a trillion dollar opportunity of customers out there who want to buy good, but really don't know who's good. And that if companies can close what we call the purpose gap, the gap between the desire to buy good and my knowledge of whether the people I buy from is actually good, a trillion dollar opportunity for companies who can close that gap and help people see why it's better to buy from them than someone else. That's a big gap. Um, and I, you know, I'm hearing you talk about how important this is, and I'm, and I'm wondering, is is this a revolution or is it just a return to what's always been important before we got distracted? What makes this a revolution and not just us getting back on track? Well, in a moment, let's talk about the revolution on the, in fact, let's talk about the revolution on the employee side first, if we can, just very quickly. And then let's talk about why, why is it, you know, really a revolution. So that's on the customer side. On the employee side, even more powerful. Uh, again, about eight of 10 employees say uh, they would like to work for companies they believe in, have a sense of purpose in. 50% of millennials say they would uh, take a pay cut to work for companies that have a sense of purpose and whose story they believe in and where they could have meaning in their own work. And by the way, every week in my work, I meet uh, people who are making that choice. And and the companies we interviewed for the book, which were scores of them, say they're seeing that on university campuses when they recruit people, that people want to work for companies that they feel uh, good about. And interestingly, it's not just um, young people, but the two most purpose-focused generations are actually millennials and the baby boomers. Hmm. So it turns out that baby boomers, the people who are at the end of their careers, uh, you know, they've made kind of enough money in many cases to feel secure. The kids are finally moving out of the house. And now they're thinking, you know, I don't want to end my career, you know, just making money. I want to make a difference. And again, scores of examples in the book that that we hear from the front lines of companies stealing talented baby boomers at the end of their career who, who don't just want their final part of their career to be uh, about money. And finally, about uh, uh, 37% of the global workforce now purpose-focused, meaning they use purpose and meaning and social good as a major determinant about who they will work for and why they stay. So again, this is so now that ad leads to the question, is this a revolution? And the answer is yes. One of the statistics I like to uh, uh, show is that 35 years ago, when you ask people, what was the role work played in your life? And 35 years ago, about 85% of people in North America said work was mostly a way to make a living. If it had meaning, if it had purpose, that was like a bonus. 
Mm. Now, 35 years later, almost the mirror opposite, where about 85% of 83% of people say work is a major part of my identity. I get a lot of my meaning and satisfaction in my life from my work. So I think, Nate, part of the revolution is the role that work plays in our lives. And it's no longer enough just to trade our, our life for money and status. It also has become a source of meaning and purpose. And I think that's part of why this is a revolution. Uh, and I think on the customer side, it truly is a revolution because 25 or 30 years ago, a social good was rarely a decision point in terms of why we bought products or services. Now, we felt good if the company get to charity or something. But the research showed it was rarely a reason why you bought or didn't buy from a company. But now that's fundamentally changing. So, and it sounds like maybe the biggest reason for that is because work plays such a different role than it did before. And so therefore, meaning and purpose is critical. Yeah, you know, I jokingly say, and, and uh, baby boomer parents will be able to relate to this, as will millennials, uh, is I always say that uh, one of the things you see with millennials is they'd rather stay in your basement for four or five more years than do work that has doesn't have meaning for them. And I've, <laughs> I've seen that with my own two adult da- daughters, right? Not so much the stay in the basement thing, thank goodness. But, you know, th- their, their willingness to defer um, gratification in their careers to to go for something that they want to do and even face financial insecurity in the short term in order to do it. So I think it is in part uh, the fact that work is playing a different role in our lives uh, and also uh, the uh, potential for uh, work to have a deeper meaning for people. Yeah. Wow. Well, You've made the case that it's really important. It's not just a remembering. This is a revolution because some things have changed dramatically. And so your claim in your book is that most companies are failing, that we're not doing a good job. Why is this? And what are we, what are we going to do about it? Or what can we do? Yeah, well, just to underscore, you know, some some data to support the idea that most companies are failing. Uh, Harvard did a huge study of uh, about 450 CEOs around the globe that we quote in the book. And and basically about 83 percent of the global CEOs said they believed that having a purpose that was embedded in your company that was more than just making money, but was about doing good uh, would, in fact, be very important for their performance and was a very important strategic lever for their company. But then when you ask those same CEOs, how many of you think you're actually doing a good job of activating or embedding purpose in your company? Uh, Only a third said they were. So 83% said, I think it matters a lot. And only a third, about 32% said, we're doing a good job. And if you ask employees, Um, Does the company I work for uh, care about society or the well-being of its clients or customers, or does it mostly care about profits and uh, its own self-interest? About seven of 10 employees say that's the kind of company I work for, mostly a self-interested, profit-oriented company. So I think you can see, Nate, that both at the CEO and the frontline level, people are saying, I want purpose, but for the most part, it isn't happening. So, um, and, you know, the the reasons for it, I think, are are several fold. Uh, One is, uh, I think most leaders have never been trained to lead purpose. 
how to embed it in the organization, how to communicate and drive it with their teams on a regular basis. The second thing is for many leaders and a number of the CEOs that we interviewed for the book who are winning in the revolution said to us that they believe most leaders really don't get how important this is. So for the most part, purpose is something that's being pursued rather uh, at a rather low level as not a strategic priority, but as, you know, 10th or 11th thing down the, 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 the priority list. And I think those two reasons right there, not being trained or ever taught how to lead purpose, and that it's not really seen as a strategic priority in many companies, but at those that are winning, who we talk about at the book, uh, they're like the places like 3M uh, and Ford, uh, you know, uh, these are folks who are prioritizing purpose as a major driver of their success. You know, I it seems it seems so obvious when you say it, and that disconnect is huge. I can tell you personally, since since I read your book, um, I thought that our company purpose was important. I thought mm-hmm. it was central. And simply after reading your book, I recognize a huge gap with how we, how we systematically put that at front and center and relate it to things. And even in the last month, conversations we've had in our team have gotten so much more focused and. We just got back from a trade show recently, and and the focus on purpose and the clarity of the message there was so different because of applying some of the principles in your book. So I can already say we're getting benefit. <laughs> well, thank you. Great. I appreciate oh, that. Yeah. And I and I think that's you know one of the things that when I work with a company, I, I one of the things I, I ask leaders to do is just begin by auditing the percentage of communication. Uh, that is about profit or task versus purpose or doing good. Uh, so the stories we highlight, the questions we ask, the comments we make. And then in our meetings, how much of our time is devoted to focusing on purpose? And what is purpose? Purpose is trying to ensure the well-being of our clients and customers and the good of society and taking actions in that direction. So uh, we've had a lot of success just by getting auditor, uh, uh, leaders to audit their own communication because what we focus on grows. And the more we focus on purpose and the difference we make, the more uh, it grows. And ironically, we all know as leaders anyway that profits are mostly a reward for living your purpose. As Steve Jobs constantly reminded people at Apple, uh, if you create great products that meet people's needs and add value to society, the reward is profits. But a focus on profits doesn't actually lead to more purpose. It often deteriorates the very thing that drives profits. Mm, mm. Are there any other things companies and leaders can do to become more purpose-focused? Well, one of the the, the, the things that that, uh, we talk about in the book that's so important is beginning to drive job purpose rather than job function. And I found as I've been speaking about this, this is a very uh, simple and sticky concept for people to understand. So job uh, purpose is about the reason this job exists and what it's meant to accomplish versus job function is just simply the tasks of the job. I'll give you a great example. 
One of the companies I've been doing work with is Molly Made, you know, the cleaning uh, company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a franchise organization. And one of the things that uh, I did when I first started working with them was said, hey, you know, give me the names of your most successful franchisees, the people who are really, you know, knocking the ball out of the park. And one of the people they gave me to interview was a young woman who, though new to the business, her growth rate is exponential compared with almost every other franchisee. And when I asked her, so tell me, like, you know, how you run your business. She said, well, first of all, um, you know, even when I hire cleaning professionals, I tell them, look, you're not just cleaning homes. You're giving our clients the greatest gift another human being could give another human being, which is the gift of time. You're giving people the time to work on other things that are important in their lives. She said, and I I tell my professionals all the time because 50% of the people whose homes we clean are elderly people, many of whom live alone. I say, look, many of the people whose homes you clean uh, uh, are alone a great deal. Many of them may have no one visit their home for several days except for you. You have the chance when you're in someone's home to alleviate loneliness. And the fascinating thing, Nate, is that's a great example of job purpose versus job function. And not only does she get more productivity out of her people, not only has she become like a place that people love to work, but in the process, people serve the clients and customers in a different way. So that's a simple example of the job function is to clean a home. But the job purpose is to give people time to alleviate loneliness. And that gives leaders a hint about how you begin to think about driving job purpose versus function. Mm, yeah, man, we can get so task-focused and function-focused, we just forget why we're here and the difference that we could be making. And, our and you know, yeah, you know, and when we do that, think about the difference it can make in terms of performance. We know, for example, that salespeople who are purpose focused routinely outperform those who are simply focused on getting the commission. So uh, one of my clients told me a wonderful story. He used to work for the Yellow Pages. Uh, it's a little old school example now, but I think it's still a great relevant one. So he worked for the Yellow Pages and uh, and, you know, they sell ad space, basically always trying to get people to upsell get a bigger ad, et cetera. And one day at the their, their staff meeting, there was a guy in the back of the room who looked completely out of place. He was kind of wearing overalls because this is pretty much a room of kind of white collar salespeople. And they had no idea who he was till uh, towards the end of the meeting. The owner of the Yellow Pages, uh, this part of the Yellow Pages said, hey, you know, I brought in one of our clients to talk to us. And long story short, this guy who owns a small trucking delivery business uh, told the story about how he had one truck and uh, one of the salespeople had really uh, been working on him for a year to really increase his ad, to go for a full page ad. And it was going to be a big leap in terms of the cost to him to do that. And finally, he said he convinced me I ought to do it. He said, and I guess they invited me in because in the year since I took out that ad, my business has actually grown sixfold. I now have six trucks and and that ad is going to help me uh, put my kids through university. I, I can't tell you what a difference that ad has made in my life and in my family's life. And this guy told me that that visit from that man made a huge difference in the sales over the next year for these uh, yellow pages. And because that leader realized that, uh, you know, that was the true purpose of why they sold ads, not just to get more money, but because it would have a real impact 
on these businesses. So again, uh, this is a real meat, uh, meat and potatoes opportunity for businesses when we start to think this way. Well, and your stories are amazing, and there are so many. For those listeners out there, one of the best parts of your book is these really good practical stories. And from those stories, readers can discern principles and be able to apply those um, in their own lives. So thank you for the wonderful stories. Yeah, thank you, Nate. And I think we do. That is how we learn. And so that's why uh, for the Purpose Revolution, one of the things we did was go out and interview scores of companies who are small and large, who are winning in the revolution and said, just tell us the stories about what you're doing and the difference that it's making. And so uh, so thank you. That is something that we've prided ourselves on over the years. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um. A little tangent here. I want to. I want you to connect some dots for us. I, I recently read a survey that indicated that a large percentage of millennials have a really negative view of capitalism, like they're really down on capitalism. And the, when I heard this, the person who was sharing it said, "Well, you know, they just don't understand it." And my hunch is telling me that millennials have seen damage or have seen capitalism lacking purpose and social responsibility. And I'd like you to comment a little bit about, is there a relationship between purpose and capitalism? And how do we, how do we reconcile these? Yeah, well, what a huge, uh, fertile uh, uh, territory for conversation. So almost like a mosquito in a nudist colony. <laughs> Where do you begin? Uh, so a couple things. One is, interestingly, although what you said is true, that millennials um, uh, blame business uh, to a great extent for many of our biggest challenges from environmental to inequity and these kinds of things, they also tend to see companies as a tremendous source of social good. One of the pieces of research we share in the book is that the largest growing number of consumers in the world is a a group called the aspirationals. They tend to be young. They actually love to buy and love to consume. They love brands. uh, And if you can win them that your brand is doing good, they will not only be loyal to you, but they will tell your story. So one of the paradoxes of millennials is on the one hand, they are very negative about capitalism, but they also feel that business is going to and could play a major role in transforming uh, the world in a positive way. Uh, Now, the other thing is a number of the CEOs I interviewed, I think of Darren Entwistle, the CEO at TELUS, the, the, the second largest telecommunications company in Canada. He said to me something that really struck me that I quoted in the book. He said, we have to do this as businesses, because if not, he said, capitalism will not survive. They're going to run us out of town. And I thought it was such a a prophetic view from a, a CEO of a publicly traded company. He basically said, look, capitalism's days are numbered if we're not seen as contributing to solving the biggest problems society's facing rather than adding to them. So I think the great news is that there, while there is skepticism, people are hungry for brands that are doing good, and they will tell our story and even spread the gospel of our goodness if we succeed at doing it. So again, tremendous opportunity, but also a big threat. Remember, 30, uh, uh, 
34% of global consumers already punishing companies that they feel are doing bad and rewarding those that are doing good. So be careful if you're on the wrong side of this, uh, you know, you, you could really be in trouble. Yeah. Wow. So I guess that that maybe leads to the question about a company can have a very strong, clear purpose, but that purpose could have a really negative impact. How 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 do you evaluate whether a purpose is noble? Ah, it's a good question, right? Can you have a bad purpose, right? Yeah, yeah, to, and be very focused on it. Yeah, to simply kill the competition, right? Um, and uh, you know, and and yeah, it's, it's very. Uh, clear that you can do that. Although I think for most companies, it's actually more, um, it's more accidental and negative purpose. Now there are companies, you know, uh, like Enron and a few, you know, high profile examples that literally simply cared about profits uh, at the cost of all stakeholders. But I think most companies, um, they, they just forget the purpose. I think of one of the uh, Don Galoin, CEO of Manulife, a large financial company said to me that almost every large companies and small company began with a noble purpose to solve some real problem a customer or society was having, but that over time uh, that their products and services often become so diverse that profit becomes a proxy for purpose. In other words, we start forgetting that you know, we're really here to solve some real problems still for people. And I think that one of the things that happens is it's like the great forgetting that happens in companies. And, and so I don't think it's so much malicious as whenever our focus is primarily on enhancing profits instead of solving real problems. And these days it can't, can't just be the problem of a customer or client. It has to also be the problem of society. And so I don't think it's malicious. I don't think it's evil in many cases. I think it's where we just get so diverse and so preoccupied that we, we forget again, what I said earlier, that profits is the reward for having a purpose, not the other way around. And I think most CEOs under and, and business owners and even frontline leaders underestimate the engine of motivation that is waiting for them. The moment they do what that Molly made franchisee did in a very small business, which is the heroic transformation to talk more and more about the difference we make and focusing on that. And I think CEOs just don't get the heroic opportunity that's in front of them. Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. And even the most purposeful, upstanding, noble, and ethical companies make mistakes and find themselves in, in, in trouble. How would you recommend that a purpose-driven company handle a big mistake? Well, you know, we have a couple of great examples of that uh, in, 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 in a book. Let's look at the way Samsung uh, dealt with the, uh, you know, exploding, uh, you know, on fire, uh, you know, cell phones. Uh, They immediately, uh, you know, almost immediately said, look, send them back. We'll replace them. They didn't deflect. They didn't try and fight the research of what was going on. They just got ahead of the problem. 
uh, Manulife, a company we feature in the book, sold a product through their brokers and, and investment advisors that wasn't their product. It was a third party product. They'd done their due diligence, but people lost their shirts on it. Immediately, they decided to give people back all of that money out of their pocket, even though it wasn't their product, uh, wasn't their fault. Uh, Other people sold it too, but they said, you know what? Uh, We sold it. We got to stand behind it. So the first thing is when you make a a mistake, authentically own up to it and don't deflect Uh, You know, compare this with the stonewalling that happened at Volkswagen at Wells Fargo in the early stages of their most recent purpose crises or Uber, how long it took Uber to recognize that spying on drivers or lying to regulators or software that would uh, get calls for Lyft drivers, even though no one was waiting for them, wasn't a good thing. Sure, they did it, but they were so slow that Uh, By the time they did it, most people didn't believe it. So I think these are good examples, uh, positive and negative, that show, I think, a hint of how we have to take action. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for that. I'd like to switch gears a little bit to looking at this dynamic between organizational purpose and kind of that highest level purpose for an organization, and then how that connects with individual purpose. And you, you talk about that a little bit here in the book, and I'm really keen on individual differences and in how people are motivated, why they do what they do, what matters to them. How do you recommend companies? Talk a little bit about connecting the big purpose with individual mm-hmm. purpose and motivators. <laughs> Yeah, and this is a really important piece we talk about in in the book. Uh, So most leaders have little or no training uh, or orientation on how to coach purpose. So here's a couple of thoughts. The first thing is uh, we believe every person in every organization, small or large, should identify their own purpose in their life and in their in their job or role. And uh, great examples uh, in the book of what happens when people do that. Second, uh, as a, a leader, I ought to know where Nate, where John, where Jackie finds purpose in their job. And the best way is to ask them. So tell me, Nate, you know, on your best days, when you go home with a real sense of purpose that you made a difference in the job, what's happened on those days? Uh, what's the meaning of this job for you besides uh, just money and what it might mean in your career? And then I want to reward and recognize that. I'll give you a simple example. We were working with a law firm where they had every person identify their own personal purpose in their job. And the main receptionist at the law firm identified her purpose as, you know, there's too much negativity and, and pessimism in the world. And I'm a very optimistic, positive person. So my job purpose is that every person who meets me when they come into this law office, internal or external, will have a shot of positivity and optimism and feel better about themselves and the world after they meet me. Now, once the leader knew that person's purpose, they might be walking by and see Lisa really living that purpose with a client or a fellow employee and then catch them a little later or even a few minutes later saying, hey, Lisa, Boy, you were living your purpose there. Keep it up. Right. So once I know what someone's purpose is, I can reward it and recognize it. But it all begins with that conversation. Right. 
And we have to get really better at simply having those kinds of conversations. And one of the I did a blog, a video blog recently about every employee has a purpose. The only question as a leader is whether you're tapped into it. So the first beginning is to realize almost everyone who works for you has a another reason they work besides just making a living. And your job as a leader is not only to coach that, but to understand that so you can encourage it, reward it, recognize it, and navigate them towards opportunities and roles that are a fit for their purpose. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm reminded, I think it was Covey that, that said something to the effect of purpose and inspiration occurs when when my greatest gift meets the world's greatest need. And when those two come together, it's an amazing thing. And it sounds like what you're saying is leaders, their job is to find that and nurture that and support <laughs> that every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, here's another very practical thing along those lines for a companies, large or small. Begin to think about how you're recruiting and hiring employees. Is purpose a part of the conversation when you hire people? Um, West Elm, the ins- the uh, furniture company, one of the things they did was they, they redefined all their jobs for recruiting and hiring and turned them into purpose descriptions as much as job descriptions. Here's the real difference that we make as a company. Here's the real difference you're going to make in this particular job. The interesting thing is they got a 40% reduction in the number of people who applied applied on average for jobs in their company. And some some of your listeners are thinking, John, great strategy, 40% decline in the number of people who apply for jobs. Then they measured the number of potentially good candidates for each job. In other words, how many people would you actually consider hiring who applied? That went up 30% even though they had a 40% decline. And what, as you can imagine, what happened was the most purpose-focused employees who, by the way, and we, we talk about this research in the book, perform better on almost every metric than non-purpose-focused employees, now they're getting a better hiring pool and from the very beginning are sending the right message to those new hires, which is we're not just in the business of selling furniture here. We're in the business of making a difference for our yeah. clients and society. So I think it's a great example of how you can, how we need to shift our thinking even in the process of hiring people. Yeah, uh, great tip, great tip, and it's you know it saves everybody time. It gets the right people where they need to be. Uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can imagine that Molly Maid franchisee, right? If she's saying that during the interview, by the way, you're going to alleviate loneliness. You're going to, you know, uh, 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 you know, give people time. You can tell then in the interview process uh, whether that lights someone's eyes up or not. You know, there's a reason why Herb Keller at Southwest Airlines, one of the most purpose-driven companies probably historically, uh, used to say that, you know, a lot of people can fly an airplane, but only... Only some of them have a sense of humor. And what, what and what Herb really was saying was he didn't literally mean just a sense of humor. I think what he meant was only a certain number of pilots have the gift of hospitality to make the flight attendants and the guests really feel at home, who who get a sense of purpose from not just flying the airplane successfully, but by engaging the guests in a service way. And that's really what Herb was talking about. I want to hire the people who will find purpose in the job, not just people who will. And again, by, by the way, I fly a lot. So getting the plane there safely is a noble purpose, trust me. Uh, 
but but why not also have the purpose of truly caring about the guests in the process? Well, you're getting you're getting at the competitive advantage. Every airline has to get them there safely. That's 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 the price of entry into the playing field. But it sounds like purpose is the differentiator. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. You know, no one would ever hire a pilot who didn't care about getting the airplane there safety safely, yeah. right? But but there's a deeper purpose at a place like Southwest, and the more visible it is, and the more it's lived every day, the more you will begin to attract uh, the right people. And of course, they'll stay longer and be more loyal and be more productive, and all the other things that we we care about. Have you, John? Have you noticed any cultural differences? <coughs> Have you noticed any cultural differences in this phenomenon of purpose? Well, you know, uh, one of the, the points that we make is this is global. It's growing. It's actually growing even faster in the developing world than it is in the developed world, maybe in part because it was further behind there. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, also these societies tend to be younger. So I believe that purpose is cross uh uh, cross-cultural. Uh, there may be differences in terms of how people express it or how you reward and recognize it, but I think the thing itself is is cross-cultural. And, you know, I want to go back to something you asked earlier, Nate, about personal purpose. You know, one of the things I always say in my keynote speeches towards the end is I tell people, look, if you can't sing the song that you've come to sing in the role that you're in right now, You owe it to your life to either find another place to sing that song or to find a way to sing your song differently in the place where you are. And I remember I I did that recently at a large call center. Uh, I was doing a series of events for a big call center for call centers for a bank. And uh, when we did the debrief, the uh, head of the division said, John, hey, the speech went over so well, et cetera, et cetera. The only problem is like that eight people quit within 30 days of hearing you speak. And I was about to apologize when this woman who heads this thousand person call center said to me, oh, no, no need to apologize. They were the right eight people. Yes. And uh, and so I think this is another thing that's a really great lesson for leaders is we're afraid to raise purpose because what if what if working for me isn't Nate or John's purpose? Well, you know what? If that's the case, or they're in a job that they cannot sing the song they came to come to sing, what a noble thing to help them see that, and what a great thing for the company to fill that job now with someone who can sing their song. So we, we can't be afraid of purpose, either as an individual, right, to ask that question, About whether and also that's why I say or sing the song you came to sing differently in the role that you're in, because there's also requires us to dig deep and say, can I live my purpose in the role I'm in? In many cases, the answer is yes, if we really dig deep. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. We have just a couple of minutes left and a couple of things I'd love to give you a chance to talk about. Um. One of the themes throughout all of your books, when we look at these books, there seems to be a theme in your life about deeper values, about meaning, about authenticity, connecting to purpose. And I'm, I'm curious if you'd say a little bit about how has this theme evolved and matured with you? Uh, does this book say something about your purpose? 
Oh, definitely. I went on a sabbatical. Uh, that's two years ago now. It took uh, 10 months off from all paid work. I walked the Camino in northern Spain and uh, spent time in the desert in Morocco and the Andes of Peru. Uh, and I really, even though my career was going very well and, uh, you know, great speaking, great writing, I really felt there was something deeper calling. And uh, I really came back uh uh, completely dedicated to fanning this revolution, because I think it's the most important revolution of our time. It's an important for us individually because uh, we sacrifice so much in our work uh, and and for it not to have purpose and meaning or work for that kind of company. And then the the the, the uh, stakes for society of business stepping up to help solve the biggest challenges that we face from climate change to equity to, uh, you know, understanding between people uh, is so profoundly uh, important. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm always asking uh, that question that you were talking about before that Covey talked about, which is what is the perfect intersection between the gifts and abilities I have and the needs of the world? And each one of us uh, must consistently ask that question. And in my case, it required me to stop what I was doing for a while. It doesn't mean that I'll have to work for others or necessary for others. But for me, it was a necessary step. And this book and The Five Thieves of Happiness really both came out of that sabbatical uh, and have kind of reoriented in a deeper way my focus on these, this conversation. That's wonderful. And now, we've talked a lot about a lot of aspirational things, a lot of organizational level things. Would you leave our listeners with a couple things they can do right now to start living with more purpose? Well, the first thing is take some time to figure out what is the purpose of your life and what is your purpose in the work that you're in now besides money and status? That's the first thing uh, is is begin to ask those kinds of questions and then say, can I sing the song where I am or can I find a way to, to uh, sing the song differently uh, where I am? The second thing is, as a consumer, recognize the incredible power you have. You know, people talk about voting, you know, every four years or two years, depending on what country, society you're in, you get to vote. I believe each one of us gets to vote many times every day for the world we want to live in by the companies that we support and don't support. So I think the other thing we can do individually is claim our power to influence the world we want to live in. And I'm not going to preach to people about who to support or the issues that matter to you, but figure out what matters to you and find out the companies that are, in fact, leading in a direction that you want to go and become a uh, uh, someone who not only constantly votes, but encourages others to vote for that company or against them if they're really, uh, you know, not living the values you hope for. So those two really, two really practical things everyone can do right away. Great. Thank you. Before we give our listeners information on how to get your book, is there anything else that you'd want, want people to know about your message? Well, I, I think the big thing, Nate, is that, you know, this is a phenomenon that's not going to go away. This is a tremendous opportunity for uh, business owners, small and large, for individual leaders. If we move towards this revolution, we will have more meaning in our own work. We will get more from people. We will get more customers and more profits. And in the process, we will also find more meaning 
uh, and make a bigger difference ourselves. Uh, and 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 this is not going away. It's going. It's growing, and it's growing fast. And the window of opportunity to win in the revolution may be smaller than you think, because as many of the CEOs who are winning in this revolution told me, hey, within a, a few short years, or exactly what those few short years are, everybody's going to be doing this. And only those who act now will truly differentiate. So for the individual, this is an ongoing life process. For a business, there's some life and death in terms of how quickly you move on this. Uh, one of my coaches said, there's a lot of books on, on purpose that are like very soft. You need to do this. He said, this is the Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry, angry God book about purpose. We're basically <laughs> saying, look. You know, do this or else. What a great opportunity. And in the meantime, for your personal life, what a great way to find more meaning. Fantastic. Well, where for our listeners, and I will include all of this in the podcast details, but where can we get your book and what's the best way to connect with you? Well, first of all, to connect with me, drjohnizzo.com. That's just D-R-J-O-H-N-I-Z-Z-O.com, drjohnizzo.com. Uh, simplest way to find out more about the book, purposerevolutionbook.com. Couldn't be easier than that, purposerevolutionbook.com. Has all the links where you can order the book, uh, Amazon, all those places, and also download a free chapter, learn more about the book. So those two resources, drjohnizzo.com and purposerevolutionbook.com. And of course, it's it's available uh, at all the places you buy good books and bad ones, too. <laughs> John, thank you so much. Uh, you are doing amazing work. And I wish you so much success in sharing your message of purpose and for the great work you're doing to infuse values, purpose, authenticity into workplace. I hope I hope to have you again in the future, but for now, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nate. Uh, keep up your great work, and uh, uh, thanks for being a part of the Purpose Revolution yourself. For all my listeners out there, thanks for joining today. If you have suggestions for people for my podcast, please let me know. And meanwhile, have a great day.